are not our own because of the great price that you paid, Jesus. Because you paid a great price for our lives, Lord God. And so today we just agree with your word that declares, Lord God, that we are yours. We thank you, God, so much for what you've done for us. We give you all glory. We give you all honor. chapter 6 praise the name of the Lord Deuteronomy chapter 6 when you have it say so Bible says, beginning in verse 1, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his commandments, his statutes, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, or as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that transcends time, Lord God. We thank you for your commands, Lord God, that admonish us, that change us. And we pray today that your spirit would rain powerfully down upon our hearts as we look into your word. 
God, that you would convict us, that you would convert us, that you would transform our lives. God, that you would help us to be doers of your word, not hearers alone. God, I pray today that you would begin something fresh within each and every one of the families that is in this place. I thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, as you walked in the door today, you should have received one of these. There should have been one per family. If you did not get one of these little booklets, it's for you to take notes for this series. And I hope that this will motivate you because I want you to understand how important I believe that this series is going to be. If you don't have one of these booklets, I need you to raise your hand and one of the ushers or Martha will get you one if you do not have one. But I want you to look at the front of it with me because I want to set the, the, the premise kind of for this entire series. This is a multi-generational discipleship series. And it is for us to think beyond ourselves, to even think beyond our children, but to look to our children's children. And even beyond that, if God would allow us or give us years to look uh, or to see them, you know, be raised up. The, the, the theme or the heart or the underlying theme is that we are to live by faith and leave a legacy of faith. And there will be four messages that I will preach. And the first one today will be on marriage and family. The next one will be family worship as discipleship. The third one will be education as a cost worth counting. And the last one will be male leadership matters. And so I want to deal with these topics, and they're very important. And before I get into anything that I'm going to say, I want to say this as a way of preface. And it is that we have conversations. And when I say we, I mean I and some of you as individuals. And when we have these conversations, I will discuss scripture with you or we'll discuss topics or whatever the case may be. And the point is that for some of you, I know a little bit about your business and about your life. I know about some of the failures. I know about some of the struggles. I know about some of the things that I've counseled you in. And what I want you to know is that during this series, I'm going to act like I don't know you. I, I, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm going to act like you and I never had a conversation and I'm going to say everything that God has laid on my heart to say because if I don't do that, then I'm going to be, you know, walking on eggshells, so to speak, and I'm not going to say things because you and I had a conversation and you might think I'm talking about you. Now listen, I am talking about you, but I'm not trying to point at you. I'm not, I'm not trying to call you out, and, and, I, and I'm not going back to a conversation that we had. And I say that because I want to be crystal clear. I have to preach the full counsel of the Lord in dealing with this topic. And, and, and the fact is that we are all at different places in our lives. And so when I talk today about marriage, you may be in a situation, and you may feel like, man, Bishop is stepping on my toes, or he's condemning me. Listen, that is not my heart. I, I may be talking about raising children, and we've had conversation, and I may come and... You, I want you to understand this. I want you to hear me what I'm saying to you. I want you to see it like this because this is the way that I envision our little conversation we had right now. If I were to go to my daughter and I would have to tell her something that was going to potentially hurt her feelings, I would sit her down and I would not be apologetic for what I am going to say. I would simply want her to understand this is going to hurt. And it's because I love her and that's the only reason why I would tell her these things. And so I hope that you can see yourself in that light and see me as that light, as a loving father coming to sons and daughters and saying, listen, some of the things that I'm going to say are going to be uncomfortable. 
But if we are going to change, there's going to have to be discomfort. For any of you who um, do exercise or aspire to, hallelujah. Those of you who desire, you know, to do certain things, there's something that occurs. If you want to see results, there needs to be some pain, right? No pain? All right. And so we got that. So I, I don't believe that it is any different when it comes to the things of the kingdom. So I want you to be prepared. Amen. Glory to God. So that is, the, that is the last time that we'll have this conversation today, and we'll continue on through the text. I may remind you of this next week. But here, when we look at this particular portion of Scripture, and today we'll be talking about marriage and family, um, during the time that we were fasting, and I told you about this in the beginning of the year when I first started preaching about church growth, and what I, when, I, when I was going through the series of growing pains, and I want to encourage you, do not get off mission just because we're not talking about mission per se. Do you hear me? Don't get off mission just because we're not, you know, talking about going to evangelize every day. We should be living on mission continually. We should continually have our mindset and our understanding that we are to reach one, always one. That should always be something that burns inside of our hearts, that we are seeking God diligently and saying, God, who are the ones that you have in my life that you want me to share the gospel with? As Pastor Robert was sharing, he's even saying about a young lady who leads in prayer, but she still needed the gospel. And so don't just think because someone is spiritual or because someone seems to have it all together that they do have it all together. Share the gospel faithfully and let God bring transformation to lives. One of the things that I realize is that if we are going to be on mission as a church, we have to be on mission as a family. The mission doesn't start when we walk out our doors. The mission is every day within our homes, within our families. And that is the reason why the writer of the book of Deuteronomy, which is Moses, he is communicating to the children of Israel. And later on, a little bit further down, you'll see that he cautions them about forgetting who God is when they get into the promised land. And it is always to be a constant reminder before the children of Israel that they need to remember the God who brought them out of bondage. They need to remember the God who delivered them. That is the same admonition that we have as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ we must constantly be reminded of the sin that God has delivered us from we must constantly be reminded that before we came to Jesus we did not love God we did not serve God we were totally obstinate toward him whether it was in our good works thinking that we could live a life without submitting to God and be good enough and not need him or if we were just blatantly totally 100% living a life that was wild and ungodly either way we were haters of God before we came to Jesus and the purpose that Jesus came was so that way we could be delivered for our hatred of God and we could have a relationship with him and so we must constantly be reminded of that reality why because we're forgetful people we often would say that we're not going to be like the children of Israel and we won't forget that is a lie we all forget we would all if we were in their situation we would do exactly as they did some of us even worse we wouldn't be Joshua and Caleb. Yes, I would, Bishop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ultimately, we have to be reminded, and so do the children of Israel here. When you look at verse 2, you find something that is very crystal clear, and it is that God desires his people to think generationally in terms of discipleship. The church must embrace this concept because the enemy does, and he works diligently to destroy families for generations. 
It is important that you get this. And you can write this scripture down. We will not turn there. But it is the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. This is when you take this portion of scripture. And I'll give you a real quick lesson. It is important that when you read the Old Testament, anything in the Old Testament, that you walk it through the cross. And you see how it applies on the other side of the cross. And you make sure you do that and you walk through and you see does this apply on the other side? Because a lot of people will write off Old Testament scriptures. But here is what they forget, is that the New Testament writers, or Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, what he was simply doing was he was expounding on the Old Testament and giving you New Testament application. So what we have to do is see, does this principle apply going forward into the New Testament? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 makes it very clear that the, that the responsibility of fathers is no different today than it was then. That we as fathers are supposed to raise our children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, in the fear and discipline, the teaching of the Lord. We're supposed to do the same thing. And so what we do is we look over here to chapter 6 and we can get a better picture of how this is supposed to play out. What is the responsibility that, that, that Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 is communicating because all Paul was doing was he was encapsulating this entire portion in one sentence. That's all he did. And so it becomes the same exact responsibility for us today. In verse 2, we can look at it together. It says that you may fear the Lord. So first of all, he's saying that you as fathers, you as leaders, that you would fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, a comma, you, your sons and your grandsons. And so what he's saying is he's giving this command to us and that way we would not only us worry about our own salvation, that we would not only us worry about our own understanding, but that we would look to our sons and that we would look beyond our sons to their sons. We have to get a mindset of multi-generational discipleship, not just thinking. And I believe the reason for this is because most of the time, you know, you're going to see it's, it's, it's not always that you see someone who is going to have a great-grandparent. I have been blessed, and I've actually had a couple of great-grandmothers that have lived, and I've been able to see them. But what I can say is this, is that my great-grandmothers, none of them had the level of impact in my life that my grandmother did. Great-grandmother, sweet, nice, but she didn't have the energy to deal with me. She wasn't going to be taking that time to do Bible study with me. She wasn't, she, she just, she wasn't doing that. You may have a great-grandmother that did that. Now, my grandmother, on the other hand, hallelujah. All of us can get that, that know Jesus, we can give that honor and glory to God and say, thank you, Grandma. Because she continued to walk this line. And then my mom eventually came to Jesus, led me to Christ, and so now I'm here today. But we have this generational thing. And so for the grandparents that are in here, praise the living God. You have a great responsibility. Don't think that you checked out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just for me to spoil them. That's the wrong mindset. Oh, I know. Couldn't get a whole bunch of amens. Got two, but it's all right. But I thought it was my time. I raised my kids, so now I can spoil them. Who said that? What does, 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 does the Bible ever teach that? Grandparents, spoil your grandchildren. Make your children's job harder. Oh, glory to God. I told you it was going to be tight today. Hallelujah. And we're just dealing with the grandparents. That's, that's, not, that's not a great number. We're going to deal with the parents in a moment, but let's, let's deal. What, what we, we have to have the right mindset. 
Grandparents are supposed to partner. This is what the scripture is teaching. If I'm thinking right, then I'm supposed to be looking down at my children's children and saying, I'm supposed to be part of the discipleship process. And you know what? If my sons or daughter, if they drop the ball, I'm not going to drop the ball. I'm going to speak life into the children. Why? Because here's what it is. This is the saying. I've said this before. One generation will believe a truth. The next generation will assume a truth. And the following generation will doubt, question, and even reject the truth held dear to their grandparents. One generation will fully and firmly believe, hold dear, the gospel is true. Jesus is the only way to salvation. The next generation just assumes it. Well, that's the truth. That's whatever it is. But they don't take the time to intentionally invest that truth into their children, and their children will grow up being indoctrinated by everything around them. And that's exactly what you're seeing with many of our children today. They question the faith. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you part of the reason why. Because we can't just blame media because guess what? You control the remote. You control what your children consume. You control what they partake of. You do. You decide. Now, ultimately, well, Bishop, I'm not with them in school. I I didn't say that part. I said in part. You control what they do when they are in the house with you. You control conversation. I sent the email out about having the conversation, and I put a capital S there. Because for some parents, they think they have the birds and the bees conversation one time, and it's a done deal. You need to be continuously conversing with your kids and not solely about sex. Hello, somebody. How about all of life? Most parents feel like they have done a great job if they can get their kids to the altar as virgins. Well, I made it, really. Does your kid love Jesus? And would God call them a virgin? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel the tension, glory to God. Would he? Would he say they are pure? Would he say they are walking in righteousness? Will he say that for us who have younger children? Will he say that to us? Or do we do a good job of making our kids have good manners and not disrespect us and not make a fool of us? Was that our greatest concern? Or was our greater concern that they really were raised up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? That they really understood the principles that we find here when we're looking throughout Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so I'm going to continue to read this and we'll look together. Verse 3 says, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And if we can pause for a moment, you see in verse 3, he's saying, remember these commandments. Remember to do what I'm saying. Even though you're going to go into this land that is a prosperous, blessed land, you can mess it up. This is what he's saying. You can go to a land that will produce all on its own, but you can mess it up if you do not observe, if you do not obey, if you do not take into account what the Bible communicates. If you don't do that, you're going to mess some things up. He continues on to say in verse 4 that there is one God, and that is the God that we worship. That is the God that we serve. It is a constant reminder that there is one God. And in those times, you have to realize that that was a new way of thinking because people came out of places like Egypt where they had multiple gods. And here's the thing is that when they had multiple gods, you never knew if you were going to be able to please that God by what you were doing. 
And so you may, you may think, okay, well, you know what? I'm pleasing the sun God, so I have good weather and all that stuff for my crops, but I may not be pleasing the, the God of the Nile. And so we may have some other issues because of these. And so these gods, they weren't moral gods. They weren't good gods. But what, this, what, what God is communicating here is he's saying there is one God. He is one God. And he is the only one that you need to have allegiance to. And if you will follow and obey him, you can guarantee everything he promises will happen exactly like he said it. You don't have to, you, you don't have to worry about pleasing all the different deities. There is one God, Israel. Remember that. Verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, if anybody has ever told you the Old Testament was just about obedience, point them to this scripture. This scripture says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In other words, obedience isn't simply formalities, but God is looking for obedience from the heart. He's looking for obedience that is motivated by love. God is not up there trying to be some abusive God and just make you love him and make you obey him. That is not it. He wants your heart, not just your behavior. Verse 6, he goes on and says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you sh- and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts your, of your house and on your gateposts. And so what God is saying here is that, first of all, the first place that children are supposed to be taught is where? At home, not children's church. Not youth ministry. Our children should be taught at home. But you know what? Teaching at home is only going to happen when parents really love Jesus. Again, this is not about formalities. Pastor Robert and I were talking, and he was telling me about someone that it was a horrible situation. And he said, you know, that we, we were discussing the whole topic of brainwashing our children. And there is a negative brainwashing, and there is a positive brainwashing. Listen, you want to positively brainwash your children. Amen. You should say amen to that. Don't, don't be like, oh, no, Bishop, I don't want to brainwash my kids. You want your kids to have a washed brain. You want your kids to think like Jesus. You want your kids not to be walking around with perverse thoughts. You want your children to have a right kind. You want a brainwash. Hello. It doesn't mean brainwash like a bat, like you go and they wash their brain, and they're blind to everything. That, if your children are blind to everything, you're a horrible parent. What do you mean, Bishop? If your kids, listen, if your kids do not know how to deal with issues, you did a bad job. If your kids don't know how to deal with circumstances and situations, you did a bad job. Now, what does that mean? That I take my three-year-old and throw them into bad situations? Come on, let's not be ignorant. The point is, I need to recognize who my child is, and I need to help them deal with and confront culture, because if not, they will become a hermit. Or, the even worse part, because at least, you know, being a hermit like that, they'll probably go to heaven. The other side is that they will be so overly overwhelmed by sin in the world, and you know what they want to do? Indulge in that and hate the church. And so we as parents have to make sure that we are dealing with these things according to the scriptures, that we are diligent, that we teach them in our home, that when we get up, that we talk about Jesus. Can I say this? I'm going to say this whether you say yes or not, but ultimately... You can never talk too much about Jesus. 
You should talk about Jesus as much as possible. And you need to be discerning to know when you, okay, we're going we're gonna to pause now. And we're going to take a moment. But what I'm saying is, he is saying here, constantly, he talked about this stuff being on the frontlets, in between your eyes, and, you know, people started taking that stuff literally, and they started looking crazy. That wasn't what he was trying to say. He was simply saying, these things need to constantly be on your mind, constantly be on your heart. These things need to be before you at, before you at all times. In the morning when you get up, talk about them. Sitting over for breakfast, pray together. Talk about Jesus. Talk about their day. Help them bring Jesus into their conversation. Teach them how to do that stuff. Before you go to bed, pray with them. And so I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm only giving you like a little glimpse because there's going to be a whole message on this. But th- this, this is just the introduction to understanding how important family is. Because the first thing that we have to be, be, be able to understand is that we must become those disciples who live, who teach, and intentionally pass on the gospel to the generations that we'll touch. I'm going to say it again. We need to become those disciples who live, teach, and intentionally pass on the gospel to the generations we touch. Let me say this. If you and I believe the gospel, multi-generational discipleship will be a priority. If we believe the gospel, multi-generational discipleship will be a priority. Why? Because the gospel tells us of the judgment that's to come. And we don't want to see any of our children not go to heaven. And while we are not the ones who control the eternal destiny of any person, we will be diligent to preach the gospel to them, to live the gospel before them, and to love them until they have seen the love of God overwhelm their life and that they are without excuse. That is what happens when you really believe the gospel. When you don't believe the gospel, you live your life for the here and the now, and that's all you do. And so I said we deal with marriage and family in this message. And so the first thing that we'll talk about is marriage. And so repeat this after me. Marriage is fundamentally one of the clearest depictions of the gospel. I'll say it again for those of you that are taking notes. Marriage is fundamentally one of the clearest depictions of the gospel. Turn your Bible with me really quickly to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. And you can write this other scripture down that will support what I'm trying to say here. But Hebrews chapter 13 helps me to bring forth this point more clearly. But the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33 actually gives us the clear understanding. Husbands to love their wives. Wives submit to their husbands. And he talks about how this is this great mystery. But he speaks of the church in Christ. And then he says, nonetheless, husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to respect their husbands. And so he gives this whole picture. But what he's saying in Ephesians is that marriage shows the church in Christ gives a great picture of the gospel and we'll talk about that more in a moment but Ephesians chapter 13 I mean not not Ephesians Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 when you're there say amen. amen this is what it says it says marriage is honorable or is to be honored among all and the bed undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge let me read that again marriage is honorable or to be honored among all and the bed undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge and so here's what the scripture is telling us it tells us clearly that marriage is to be honored or held in high esteem because it mirrors this relationship between Christ and the church clearly and now I'm going to tell you this every marriage that is in this building that I know of I mean every one of us is an imperfect reflection none of us have arrived 
None of us have gotten there. None of us are where we need to be or where we should be. But all of us have this one thing that as we work through our issues, as men and women live out their wedding vows, imitating Christ one to the other, they are continuously evangelizing. Because you know what? As, as imperfect as we are, as we live with each other, and, 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 you know, husband offends wife, and wife forgives husband, and different things. When all of that happens, what do you think people are seeing? They are seeing forgiveness. They are seeing love working out. They're seeing this picture of the same way that Jesus continues to forgive us, that Jesus continues to love us in spite of our imperfections. If we're going to be able to disciple our children for generations, we need to fight for our marriages. Because our children need to see Jesus. They need to see the gospel in our marriages. Now, here's what I want you to understand in this scripture here. God is not stuttering. He says, marriage, honorable among all, is to be honored, is to be held in high esteem. In other words, you know, little girls back in the days, nowadays, I don't know if this is so much true. I know that, you know, my daughter and I have told you before, you know, we've, we, 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 um, we've done some um, fictitious ceremonies where she marries me and all that good stuff, and I'm cool with that. But we know that that's not going to be a reality. As of late, she doesn't necessarily talk about marriage, but she'll talk about the things after marriage. Like, she'll talk about when she has kids, and she talks about stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, so she understands this kind. But here's the point. Marriage is to be honored. Little girls, you know what they used to dream about? They used to dream about getting married. I don't know what they dream about today. Because we give such bad examples in our marriages, they don't want, that's not a dream, that's a nightmare. I mean, seriously, I don't want that, nope. I do not, I, I don't want to be treated like that. I can tell you as a boy, I, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely, you know, grew up, you know, single mom a lot of the time. But I can tell you from my own experience in my own life, one of the things that, that, that I knew is that even when I got into the years of date, I was like crazy. I don't even know what my problem was. But I was like talking about marriage when I was in like middle school. Y'all, y'all like, Bishop, you're crazy. I was crazy. I was out of my mind. I guess. I don't know. And I, I, I didn't see, you know, I, I didn't see like a good picture of marriage, you know, anywhere, you know, my, my you know, anyway, I want to get to none of that stuff. But the point of the matter is, I, I didn't see like this great picture. But, but you know what, one thing I can tell you about my mom is my mom taught me something about valuing a woman. And she wasn't, she wasn't a Christian, but she taught me, man, you don't be no, you know. You just fill in the blank with whatever word you want to put there. You don't be like that with women. You treat them respectfully. You treat them with love. You, and, and so I was like, well, okay, then I, I know the right thing to do is, you know, marry. Can I tell you something? That's young to be talking about marriage. Amen? I should have been going to school. I should have been doing what I needed to be doing. That, 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 that's ultimately, that, that, that's where my mind should have been. I shouldn't have been worried about no relationship. I shouldn't have been all engaged. So if you're in middle school, please stop thinking about that. Stop talking about that stuff. There's no need to have those conversations. But ultimately, the, 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 the point that I'm making is that, you know, as kids, you think about being married and stuff like that, usually because there's some good examples. You want that kind of love. You want, you want that kind of relationship. You see those qualities. And so how, what, what needs to happen for us as parents 
husband and wife, we need to work toward our marriage. Now, here's what, what happens. We look at the scripture. Marriage is honorable among all. The bed undefiled. Listen, that means that God wants you to enjoy the things that happen in the bed, and he's not just talking about sleeping. For married people. Listen, you can go buy a bed anywhere, put it in any room, and lay there with anybody. That does not mean that you are entitled to the things that married couples are. Let me, let, 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 let me take this just a, a step deeper here. Because, you know, coming from, coming from like the old school Hispanic background, like you be with a woman for years. Oh, she's my wife. Really? You have, you know, children together. She, she's my wife. That's not your wife. You are in the next category. What was the next category? Fornicators and adulterers will what? Be judged. That's horrible. Listen to me. Marriage is honorable and should be honored. And we have to have the right mindset. We have to understand God, husband, wife, his, his plan is to consecrate the marriage before you consummate it. What do you mean? What I mean is you make it holy before the Lord. That's consecration. If you're part of this church, unmarried, this is the process. You go through premarital counseling. You learn what marriage is all about. Make sure you want to do it. Listen, make sure you want to do it. Make sure you understand what you are getting because you're going to have some issues. They're going to get on your nerves. There's going to be days you're going to wonder, did I do the right thing? No matter how sure you were day one, no matter how happy you were on the honeymoon, there are going to be times, did I do the right thing? That's, that is natural. That happens. I've told you all the testimony with my wife. She was like, Mm-mm, I'm leaving. I told you, y'all want me to tell you a story? I'll tell you a story real quick. We got, we got, we got into a, a crazy, a crazy discussion, and um, I, I don't know, I broke the bed. That's what it was, right? I broke the bed, and that was like the icing on the cake. I broke the bed because I yanked the bed. So y'all are like, this should break in the bed. I didn't break the bed. I, was, I wasn't. These, 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 these guys are crazy. Like, I want to break the bed. Listen. The bed is undefiled, Bishop, but it's not unbreakable. I mean, come on, guys. Ultimately, I pulled the bed, broke the bed. We're laying on the floor <clears throat> on, on top of our mattress. My wife's laying next to me. You know, I know what's going on. She's got her pajamas on, but she's got her jacket on. She's got shoes on. She's got her purse right here. And she's, like, waiting for me to go to sleep or something so she can leave. And I'm like, what is wrong? And so she gets up to leave, and I'm like, where are you going? She's like, oh, no, I'm going to my mom's house. I'm like, listen, you ain't going to your mom's house. We are married. Divorce is not an option, period. We had, you know, it was a little rough. That we, we, it was like, that was our first year below. That was like six months maybe around. It was, it was, it was, just, it was just crazy, just intense, you know, hallelujah. We, we, we didn't learn how to fight right because, you know, fighting is going to happen. You just can't get crazy. That's the, that's the truth. You got to learn how to fight fair, right? You got to learn how to, what are we fighting? Are you trying to make a point? You're trying to make a difference, right? Most people are fighting just to make a point. 
Do you understand my point? Ain't trying to make a difference. Just want your point to be understood. Great. I understood your point. Nothing changes. We're fighting about the same thing again in six months. This is free marriage counseling right now, all right? (laughs) So we have that issue. We have this situation. But here is the thing that we need to get is that marriage, marriage is honorable. It's an honorable to say. We should desire that. And, and again, coming from that mindset, coming from, you know, where I do, you know, we're, we're together, we live together, you know, how. The Jewish boys, you know, what, you, know, you know what the bar mitzvah was? That was their knighting. You are now a man. What does a man do? A man works. A man has responsibility. A man should be in a place where he's ready to have a child. So what am I saying? You should be married at 13? Absolutely not. But what I am saying is that we as parents, we need to be exemplifying what marriage is, and we also need to be preparing our children. In other words, disconnect them from the we, because that ain't what marriage is about. You know, got our, got our children up in there conquering levels and like, that's real life. That ain't real life. But then you know what they do? They want to marry some girl and they want to sit in the room and they want to play video games all day long while she's out there slaving in the living room. Slap that boy upside the head. Be like, that's not real life. That, your wife is going to be highly irate. If she is out there slaving for you and you just playing video games, conquering next level, next level, got to get the next game out. Hold on a second. That is not what real life is about. See, listen, we as I don't have a son yet. I'm praying for him soon. Glory to God. But I will tell you what, I realize the responsibility that is there. I need to let him know. It, I, I want to go play basketball with him. Hopefully, go play racquetball and show him how to beat Pastor Robert. I'm working towards that glory to God. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, be able to do so. Now that his back is locking up, I'm like, Lord, let it lock up on the court. Why can't it just lock up? When we're, I'm just joking. I do not pray that. But ultimately, I want to do all those things with him. But you know what my son needs to see? My son needs to see that stuff is not priority. That stuff is not going to make him into the man of God he is called to be. It is my job to show him that a man of God sacrifices whatever it is in order to be a man. That man sacrifices his own desires in order to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. If I don't raise my son, and for you that have sons, if you don't raise your sons that way, you are doing an injustice to the young lady that he will propose to. And you're probably doing an injustice to yourself because he's going to be living in your house longer longer than what you want him there because he's too busy playing video games, letting mama wash clothes and cook food. Hello, somebody. This is easy living. Yeah, but that is not being a man. So we want our sons, we want our daughters. And listen, this goes to our daughters too. Our Our daughters need to know how to be women of God. Hello. Our daughters need to understand, man, it's, it's, it's not about just playing with dolls. Hello. It's not just about that. I thank God. Listen to me. I thank God Almighty for the mother-in-law that I have and for the wife that I have all day long because they show my daughter what it is to be a helper. Listen, ladies, don't get offended when you hear the word helper. I'm just a helper. I'm, I'm, I'm insignificant. I didn't say you were a servant. I said you were a helper. 
This is what you got to understand. If you haven't heard I know I've said this probably 10 times. I hope you hear it the 11th one that I'm about to say it now. That word helper that is utilized to describe Eve in the book of Genesis is also utilized to describe God himself. You think God is weak, impotent, unnecessary? No. God is almighty, and he is called our helper. And when God gives a man a helper and a wife, it is a glorious thing. It is a glorious thing. And so we have great responsibility. Great responsibility to make sure that we are being examples of what marriage is supposed to be. That we are teaching our children and that we are celebrating. Celebrate marriage. Don't, don't listen, don't, you, you need to know your kids. Don't let your, you know, teenage daughter come home talking, oh, I'm in love, I'm going to be married. We'll have a prayer service for her. Hallelujah. Because, you know, I mean, there's just some stuff. I mean, listen, and, and I, I, could, I could get into a whole topic of dating. I'll do that some other time. But just find the word dating in the Bible. Do, 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 a, do a topical study on biblical dating. It will be very short. <laughs> very short. You're not going to find a whole bunch of material. There's no material there. There's no material for biblical dating. None. None. You didn't get all emotionally and romantically involved with someone. Can I tell you why dating becomes such a bad thing? Because here's what you teach your children when you allow them to go and date. You teach them how to divorce. Because you teach them how to get emotionally involved with someone. And when I say teach them, if you allow them, you are teaching them. You allow them to get emotionally involved and, all, and, and, and just all up in this relationship and then say, now things didn't work out. On to the next one. That's exactly what divorce is. You work it out as long as you can and then you know what? On to the next one. They need to value relationship and emotional commitment. They don't even need to be... I, I, when I was a youth pastor, I preached this. I preached this till I'm blue in the face. My daughter, my son, if God gives me it, I will continue to communicate this. You don't even need to be engaged in any kind of relationship until you are ready to be married. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> until you are ready to be married. That means you are emotionally mature, you are mentally prepared, and you are in a position in your life. Look, when, when, some, when some boy comes up in my house talking about, I want to marry your daughter, we need to have a real conversation. Really? How are you going to take care of my daughter? How are you going to take care? How are you going to disciple my daughter? Well, I'm going to play video games. Okay. You can go play video games somewhere else. This is not the one. Listen to me. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to close this point, and I got two more, but we can't get into them because I'll be here for another two hours. When I, when, when I was with my wife in the beginning, when we first got together, I remember, you know, my wife, for those of you that don't know, she is a little bit older than me. We look, I look older now, but it's not her fault. It's your fault. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. It's Pastor Robert's fault because I'm working so hard, you know, trying. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Listen, ultimately, ultimately, Ivan. That's not God, bro. That's, that's that. Oh, you have little faith. I mean, that, that, was, that wasn't good, man. Hallelujah. 
It's not going to happen this week maybe. But listen, anyway, moving, moving on. When I met my wife, she was older already. She already graduated college. She had, you know, her, her and her mom, they, they owned a townhouse together. My wife's driving a nice vehicle. When I met my wife, I didn't even have my GED yet. Definitely didn't have a car. No license, nothing. I remember that in, a, in, in our relationship, you know, in the time that we were together, and <clears throat> somebody came to me and they told me, they said, you know what, she's going to make you a man. And I was like, I am a man. <laughs> <laughs> See, we measure manhood by the wrong things. Seriously, we do. Wrong stuff. How tall you are, hair on your face, that makes you a man, right? Mm -mm. But I thought I was a man, and this person's like, she's going to make you a man. And I was like, okay. And praise God, God used her, helped me to become the man that I am today. But here's the thing that happened. I don't remember when this was in our relationship, but there was... A, a particular time, and my mother-in-law was the one that they went to, and they had the conversation with her. And two people that I love dearly, I've never confronted them about this. I really could care less. I don't hold anything against them. I share it with you because I want to point something out to you. They went to my mother-in-law, and they said, listen, you know, are you sure? And I'm going to paraphrase because it's been such a long time ago. I don't remember verbatim. They weren't talking to me anyway. But they said, you know, are you sure that, you know, Elaine should marry Jason? You know, because Jason is, he's, you know, he's, she's, she's a professional. He's not. And, you know, what's he going to offer her and all this and that. And my mother-in-law came with, you know, a great response that I appreciate her every day for. She's like, if that's the one that God has for my daughter, that's the one. Right? Good answer. But let me say something to you. Those men were right in what they were communicating. They were wrong in who they communicated it to. Because they should have came and talked to me. They should have came and said, you need to man up. Because you're thinking about marrying this woman, how are you going to provide for her? You see, I'm going to tell you something, and, th and, and this is why I, I, I will preach till I'm blue in the face to men and asking God to help us to be the men that we're called to be. It's because in the church that I come from, I don't have anything bad to say, but I will tell you this. There was not enough emphasis on men being responsible men. It was just assumed that men were going to be responsible. But you know what? We can't assume stuff. You can't just assume, remember, one generation will, will believe it, the next generation will assume it, the next generation will deny it. They'll question it. Is that even what a man is supposed to be? Is that what a man looks like? And so someone should have came and said, hey, man, you're thinking about getting married? How are you going to take care of this woman? How are you going to lead her spiritually? When we went through premarital counseling, I can tell you, we did five weeks, and I, and I promise you, there was no in-depth conversation on how are you going to disciple your wife. Listen, and I say this because of two things. Number one, us as dads and single moms as well in this place, it is important that you exemplify discipleship to your children and that they know what a discipling relationship in the home looks like. It is also important that we teach our sons how to disciple a woman, and the best way to do that is by what? Showing them. It's the bottom line. Show them how to lead Bible study, how to pray, how to be compassionate, how to be sensitive. Don't just show them how to work hard, come home, and play video games. Seriously. Well, I don't play video games, but you click, 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 click away. It's the equivalent. And so ultimately, we have to have that understanding. The, the, the communication was right, but they should have came to me. Not that they shouldn't have went to my mother-in-law. They should have had a conversation with whoever they, I don't care who they talked to, but they should have talked to me. 
And they should have said, man to man, you need to rise up. You have a responsibility of a family. And so the first thing that we got to do is understand if we are going to think about multi-generational ministry is we have to consider marriage. Marriage and family. And next week I'll finish this. Amen? Amen. So I'll stand to our feet, please, and bow your heads. <clears throat>